When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to the most special edition of Slate Money. We, I think we should call it the godly edition of Slate Money, because we are going, we are getting religion this week. Holy shit, we're godly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Adjectives that have never been disputed to describe Slate Money. I'm feeling super godly. <laughs> I feel like we, we've been doing Slate Money for over 100 episodes now. Um, we've been going for a while, and this is a big gaping gap, a lacuna, you <laughs> might say. Yes. In, Not in quite an emporia. Oh, my God. There's, no, we, we've been talking about money and money and money, and society and we have not talked about religion which is a key part of how people think about money why people think about the money in the way they do and it's a big business and so we have in the studio quite aside from Kathy O'Neill the atheist blogger and yeah. um at mathbabe.org and I really don't know anything about religion I'm super interested in this topic and and quite aside from Jordan Weissman the um I guess, Jewish money box columnist at Slate. Shockingly. <laughs> um, and, and, and me, Felix Hammond, the atheist senior editor at Fusion, I went to a school which was Christian, and so there were a few kind of pro forma hemi prairie things every so often. Yeah, but um, this was an Did you learn right? anything, though? Like the Bible verses or anything? Oh, God, no. Okay. Um, so to speak. <laughs> Um, and and we have, but never mind us because we actually have an expert here, Mr. No. Chris Lehman. Um, Lehman. It's important Lehman. to distinguish. Sorry, not, from the investment bank. Yeah. yeah so it's like, not not Lehman as in brothers, but right. Lehman as in you know a lay preacher. Let's say yes. Um, <laughs> has written the book. Um, so Damn, so tell me, right. tell us very briefly, like who you are and what is this book. Uh, I am, as you noted, but mispronounced, Chris Lane. <laughs> Um I am editor of The Baffler. Um, until very recently, like two weeks ago, I was co-editor of Book Forum. And um, I um, have written a lot on the money culture broadly. I, my last book was called Rich People Things, which was based on a column I wrote long ago at The All. Um, and I... You know, when it it does feel in you know I'm at a table now of of three secular atheist secular slash atheist journalists, um, 
So it, it, I've uh, had a lifelong interest in religion as an outsider. Um, I was, as an undergraduate, a religious studies major. I just soaked the stuff up uh, in a way that was mystifying both, I think, to my family and myself. Um, but, you know, I grew up in the Midwest where religion is a huge part. You know, I was not raised religiously. My parents, when they felt guilty, would drag me to a Unitarian church every now and then, <laughs> just sort of checking the box. Um, but I was surrounded by very ardent, very Protestant religious people, you know, schoolmates and, and such. And I remember having to explain to them what Unitarianism was. They, they always thought it was the Unification Church. It was like... I, and I remember talking to my parents, like, do I have to go, go through this? This is like embarrassing. Um, which is all a long way of saying there was this huge presence in my, you know, social world that I knew nothing about. Um, and I just gradually, when I went to college, began to think of it in a more systematic way and, and thinking, you know, this is this very powerful, irrational force that does, in fact, determine a great deal, especially in, in the United States, uh, about the way we think about, you know, moral values, how society should be organized, and um, the economy. Okay, so the, um, so the name of the book is The Money Cult. Um, and so that, I think, is a good place to start. American Christianity, and, and most American religious people are Christian, the overwhelming majority, um, American Christianity is a big money thing, right? Yeah, um, both would, would you in, call in terms it, of... Would you call it a money cult? <laughs> I'm glad you asked me that. For <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so actually, in fairness, my agent, Melissa Flashman, gave me the title, so I just ran with it. Um, but um, I would nonetheless and do describe it as a money cult in the sense that, not I think in the traditional... We have this kind of uh, caricature you know, that we in the media often foment of... Uh, you know, the kind of um, Elmer Gantry uh, on-the-make preacher who always turns out to be a sexual hypocrite, who always turns out to be in it for the money. I hope I'm not writing about that stereotype because that's not my view of how money figures into American religious belief. It's actually a much more intimate and uh, foundational idea. Um, and I was surprised when I, you know, it is a history going back to the colonial settlement of the country. And, you know, like the first great American evangelist who was technically British, uh, George Whitefield, uh, the preacher who led the first great awakening, which by many historical accounts was the key event that led to the American Revolution. It gave the country a sense of national unity. Um, that's all off to the side. But Whitefield, Whitefield came over on a um, ship and landed in Philadelphia um, with a hoard of goods that his brother, who was a wine merchant, had himself. So the first notice of George Whitefield's arrival was like, there are exotic rugs, there are bottles of wine, you know, it was an open-air bazaar. Commerce. Um, and yeah, exactly. And uh, George Whitefield also was a... Uh, in the print culture of, of the early colonies, he accounted for something – he personally accounted for something like 40 percent of all printed matter, like his sermons, his uh, um, you know dispatches. He actually he, hired a publicist, which was unheard of. And, and he made money selling these things? 
He did, though. He like many um, people who make money, and many religious people who make money. He managed it incredibly badly. <laughs> um, so, he uh, most of the money went to an orphanage and uh, you know sort of religious complex he was founding in the colony of Georgia, and it just sank. <laughs> but but there was but there's been a lot of money in religion since long before the founding of the United oh, yes. States. I mean, the Catholic <laughs> Church is famously just a wash in money. Yes. Um, it seems that money is something which naturally follows on from power. Like if you're yes. powerful, you wind up with money. And that certainly in Europe for most of the past thousand years, the power, a huge amount of power has resided in the church. And so it's kind of logical that you will also wind up getting right. a lot of money there. In the United States, which is a nominally secular country, um, with the separation of church and state, um, is is it the same dynamic in a, just a slightly more diluted way that even though we don't have the religious people running the country, they still have power in society and that's how they get money? Um, yes and no. Um, it's very – it's organizationally very different from the European Catholic model um, and I describe this a lot in the book. One of the big themes of – Protestant revival and Protestant denominationalism in America um, is about deinstitutionalizing. There is a distrust of all forms of earthly power um, because they're not holy and they're not of the new world. They are associated with old world corruption. So anytime a church is seen to, you know, gain too much worldly influence, you know, there's this kind of reflex of oh, shit, we're becoming Catholic <laughs> and, you know, go to hell, literally. <laughs> um, so um, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, and I, in the book, I, you know, again, the, these ideas kick around in your head for a, a long time. And I suddenly realized that, you know, as a historical fact, religion is the first deregulated industry in America. Um, the last state-supported church was dissolved in 1820 in Massachusetts, which was the, of course, the you know, mother colony of the the Puritans. Um, and from that point, you have this total, um, and you know what follows of in the early 19th century at the same time is what's known as the Second Great Awakening, which is an amazing onrush of people who are you know in vain against traditional religious establishments and saying, look, I've discovered Christ. No, I've discovered, you know, it's a nationwide um, revival that just seizes the American imagination and creates, among other things, Mormonism, which is one of the, you know, the other themes of the book is Mormonism and Pentecostalism are kind of the leading edge money cult denominations in my view. So, can you um can you talk a little bit about um the only actual religious exposure I had as a child, which was that my grandmother used to watch the TV evangelists. Oh yes, and like because that <laughs> seems like a very going to to um, Felix's question, very American phenomenon. It is, and um, it's a, it's American in this way I'm describing because the vast majority of TV evangelists um, either switch their denominational affiliations willy-nilly, like um, Oral Roberts, who was a great Pentecostal preacher um, in the 70s and helps de develop what's, you know, 
what is now called the prosperity gospel, which is the most, you know, hardcore <laughs> um, iteration of the the money faith, um, became a Methodist, and it freaked everyone out. Um, and um, now, the prosperity gospel is is basically if you give money to the church, then you will become rich. That's yeah. The, at the most basic transactional level, that's true. Um, <laughs> and how is not it? true as it, that's not what happened. In reality, <laughs> I, I'm curious. How, this is part of it, but I mean, I, you, I'd like you to talk about how we got to that point. Yes. How did how did we evolve to that's, the point where religion becomes that kind of hardcore transactional? Like, where, and how is it different than is, what came before? That is the story of my book. Yeah. So I am very glad you asked that as well. Um, we evolved through this process of kind of rabid deinstitutionalization. So all these denominations I talk about in the book, like Mormonism, like Pentecostalism, also have this fevered romance that they're going to rediscover the primitive church. Um, this is, an, again, going to Felix's earlier point, a very American idea. Like we're going to shuck off all of the old world corruption. You know, we're a democracy. You know, we're going to be in an original relationship with God, as Emerson broadly put it. Um, so um, how we get to this point is, you know, every, you know, from the ni- early 19th century onward, every sort of major Protestant founder of a new denomination or, um, you know, influential evangelist says, we're going to take you back, you know, to to the way the gospel was worshipped by Paul and and all the disciples in the immediate wake of Jesus's death. Now, the interesting thing about this is the primitive church was also essentially socialist. They held It sounded like a bunch of hippies in the woods. No, they totally were. (laughs) They held property in common. Um, They, you know, until Paul sort of got them under control, they would let women, you know, play, you know, leadership roles. Um, So this is, so this is a, Big problem. Right? <laughs> we're going to revive the the Puritan Church or the the primitive Church, but because we're Americans, like we're not. It's not going to be socialist. Duh. God. For, God forbid. <laughs> right. God forbid. Um, you know this process actually of di- divesting power away from you know solidaristic institutions into charismatic individuals creates. You know, the social dynamic where powerful evangelical preachers become obsessed with money as a sign of your faith. And going back to what you were asking about the prosperity gospel, part of what the prosperity gospel preaches is that the words from your mouth creates your social reality. Joel Osteen is um, – this is called the word of faith tradition. Joel Osteen, who is still – Amazingly, both before and after the 2008 meltdown, the most popular um, preacher in America today. And it is all about creating an abundance theology, having a you know, success outlook on life. It is, it is the business culture of kind of successories and motivational posters translated wait, 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 entirely. Sorry, sorry. I had to interrupt you. What sure. is successory? Uh, successories are this, this kind of kitschy or at least – I regard them as kitschy <laughs> um, um, line of – you find them in office, middle management offices all the time. They're just sort of um, – But like those posters. Posters, right, uh-huh. that, that have inspirational quotations about how you are, you are going to achieve 
tremendous thing. So, so, so the, it's a cult the, of personality. It is in a certain way. Personality is certainly predominating and, and the story of how we get from, you know, where we were, you know, as, you know, kind of proto-social gospel Puritans to today's marketplace of religious, you know, some may call, call it hucksterism. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So, but going back to the money thing, um, it, there's this other very profound part of religion. And as a tourist in this area, I, you know, I feel like this is the thing which I see a lot, which is vows of poverty, which is like you should give your money to other people, probably the church. You should... You know, it is easier for a camel's hair to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter <laughs> the kingdom of heaven. Right. Like, there's this a camel, not a, a camel's hair can pass through, the eye of <laughs> or whatever Just it is. For the record, but, but I was thinking about that. Like, it's be a thick... I've investigated. But, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, but the, so I feel like when I think of religion, a lot of the time I think of you know, monks and nuns with no money. I think of priests working, you know, where I grew up in the Church of England on very low salaries. Yeah, non-materialistic. You're, you're, not think, materialistic. you're thinking of European religion is yeah. what you're thinking. So, so is that – now? so that's, I guess, no, that's there, my question. There is, we, we also have in Europe the Catholic Church, which has right, lots of money. So. Right. Now, there is definitely a strong philanthropic and charitable function. You know, I don't want to portray American religion as solely a get-rich – quick scheme. It's not that. Um, and a lot of, like Joel Osteen has a uh, mission of, um, you know, sending goods to Africa. Rick Warren has adopted Rwanda as a purpose-driven country to uh, remake. But that that is a, a good example in my view. Like, you know, here you have, a, again, an enormously influential um, pastor at a megachurch um, adopting a country to not just, you know, help a country recovering from a genocide get back on its feet, though he's doing a lot of good work along those lines, but branding it as a purpose-driven nation. That's a very different, and I would argue, distinctly American idea that, and this, you know, goes into a different discussion of America's imperial past, (laughs) which, you know, probably isn't in our scope. But But is Joel Osteen himself... Um, or are these pastors themselves, do they say that it's good to be poor? Or do they say that no. it's good to be rich? Because it's I feel like there is a tradition it's, somewhere along the line. When yeah. I look at the, the priests and the monks and whatnot, and mm-hmm. you know, St. Francis of Assisi or whoever, right. like, I feel like there is a tradition of it's good to be poor. Yes, there is a tradition, and um, it is not the winning tradition in America. So we in megachurches, sorry, mm-hmm. in megachurches do... I assume people who are in the flock give part of their money to the church. Yes. Um, um, but they're not doing it to support the church. What, are they doing it to well, show fealty? What are they, why, what's the purpose well, of the tithing? Well, they're doing it for, you know, 
people give money for a lot of different reasons, but the sort of theological rationale to give money, um, and I've received these mailings from Joel Osteen myself, is uh, you um, give money as um, an act of what's called seed faith. You plant a seed via your donation, and God then allows you to prosper a hundredfold. So it's like a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> uh, your words. <laughs> isn't, the, um, isn't this like just a really good example of kind of the market winning here? I mean, yes. I mean, if you're if you're trying to design a church that's going to be able to sustain itself and, mm-hmm. and prosper, you'd want to appeal to white upper middle class Americans. Yes. And white upper middle class <laughs> Americans don't want to be told about the virtues of poverty. They want to be told yep. why they're virtuous. Hey. And so, well, most of the point I think yeah. Americans who aspire to being upper yes, middle class. Yes, it is aspirational. So. Um, Joel Osteen embodies this. I don't know if if you've ever seen him preach or like caught him on TV. Um, Can you do an impression? He, <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking I need to work up one. He has this kind of soft draw, and he oh shit, I have seen that guy. Overtone <laughs> of wonder where he is saying, and then God gave me a parking space. This is actually stuff he. Act- <laughs> <laughs> truly preaches. In all, like, in all fairness, I think there are a lot of people in this world who like do feel they have been touched by the hand no. of God if they get a parking space. In New York. Right. <laughs> Especially in New York. In New York City, yeah. yeah. Like, that's yeah. not outrageous That's a Seinfeld no. episode right there. Uh, um, he also has a long description in one of his books. I actually reviewed one of his books for Slate, um, where um, he describes, you know, he and his wife uh, bought a new house without unloading their first starter house. They had two mortgages. They were struggling financially. Lo and behold, this was circa 2006 or so before the crash. Obviously, lo and behold, um, their you know old house sells and their new house flips instantly because it's zoned in a commercial development, um, a lavish commercial development in Houston. So its price doubles basically. And he says this was all the work of God, not the market. It was all because you know, housing Joel, bubbles are good and yes. they are godly. They are good and godly. God, God wants With, housing bubbles. Wait, so what he, happens or, when someone gets cancer? That, are they right. like <laughs> that? Is that is the whole big big problem with this the the theodicy question, as it's called in in theology? Right, that how how does a just and omnipotent God allow suffering to happen? And in economic terms, if God is smiling on Joel Osteen when he flips his house. He is, you know, angry, I guess, with the millions and millions and millions of Americans who then suffered, you know, foreclosure and, and, uh, you know, from predatory uh, mortgage um, markets. So that's a big, big problem. (laughs) And um, it's not one that, you know, this brand of of, uh, preaching is – so does, does so that does that make for. this pre- this brand of preaching cyclical with the economy itself? It no, because as I said earlier, Osteen, you know, both before and after. That's what's fascinating to me. Does he change what he was saying? No, no it, you don't need to. The, this, the great thing about yep. this is it works both ways. In up markets, it's yeah. working, and it's in down markets, it you offers need it even aspiration. More. Right? Yeah. You just give somebody right. the church, and your house price is going to pop back right. up. Don't you, right? Wait, I don't understand is, how it works in down markets. In down markets, is when you need it the most. Right. That wow. that that is true. You you're just pla- need, you're, you're waiting your around seed. for God to you're be planting smiling your seed. Exactly. You are. It is an investment. And, and it is spoken in the those best, terms. The best time to invest is right. when blood in is down in market. the streets. Right. <laughs> yeah. one, one, of my, one fascinating thing to me about this is a lot of people have talked about how um, 
for some American conservatives, they've tried to sort of replace God with the invisible hand. Yes. And yes. now this is almost like a reaction to the Christianity yeah. saying like, well, we'll just make the invisible hand into God. Right. <laughs> now that is absolutely, that's a, that's a very good insight. Um, and um, that is in large part this, you know, the, the, the boring story that, that uh, Felix doesn't want to hear about uh, denominationalism in the 19th century is <laughs> – um, and trust me, I really don't want to I, hear that. I, I, I so disagree with Felix. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, we'll, we'll he's talk, on the show, yeah, so I've got to defer. Yeah, no, Jordan and I will talk later. Um, <laughs> Read the book, everyone. Yeah, no. Read yes, the book, and you yeah. get to learn all about denomination. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, is, so what we have got basically is this kind of confluence of capitalism and religion to the point at which suddenly the richest people are the godliest people just by mm -hmm. dint of being rich. Right. I think actually Donald Trump said something to this effect the other day that uh, – You got to be great. You gotta be, be great. To, in order to be great, you have to be rich. And that is yeah. that is pure prosperity gospel. Actually, my friend Jeff Charlotte wrote a great piece for the Times Sunday magazine a while ago. He went to a bunch of – Trump rallies in the heartland or primary states. Um, and he came away saying, yeah, Donald Trump is a prosperity preacher. Um, this is exactly um, the faith. And, and, you know, when you think about it, it does make sense because, you know, we in the press examine Donald Trump's utterances as, you know, empirical, <laughs> you know, and verifiable. And, and we fact check them and say, oh, you know, this will, it's not true. <laughs> um, but no one for, ever fact-checks Joel Osteen. Right. And for believers, that doesn't matter. Yeah, right? it, does, it actually because, throws away rationality no, and, that's, and logic. That, right. That's why – that's how I got interested in religion is it is powerful. It is irrational and it's a, it's a cohesive system that works. So how do you explain it? Um, so, you know, I would argue in, in Donald Trump's case, you know um, – it's not the case that he opposed the, the Iraq invasion in 2003. It's not the case that, you know, the Mexicans are going to pay for the wall and the border. But the important thing for, I think, for Trump devotees is he says something that they believe should be true. They want it to be true. Right. Um, and that's exactly how um, word of faith prosperity preaching works. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, again, as a, as a tourist in this area, um, one of the things I see when I look at religion, um, if I look at the, the Christian faith, there's a very long, thousands of years old tradition of debt jubilees where debt yes. is forgiven. Um, in Islam, there's basically a complete ban on debt. They, they right. really hate it's anyone right. borrowing anything immoral. from anyone. Right. It's immoral. Um, how does debt figure into this uh, this American version of Christianity in much the same way. Interestingly, uh, that prosperity does. Um, back, in, you know, I mentioned oral. Like the more, more you have it, the better. No, <laughs> but you you definitely um, acquire it, and it's 
in the 19th century, I'll just say quickly, um, <laughs> debt shifts from the, the Puritan model of debt was like the Islamic model. It is a grave failing of character. It speaks badly of, you know, how of your upstanding nature. Um, but that shifts in uh, the 19th century largely because there's a mass – it's what's called the market revolution in America. There's massive investment in infrastructure where tollways are built, state legislatures built, build can, canals. It's all funded by debt. It's all financialized debt on Wall Street. Um, so debt then becomes a sign of you know, trustworthiness in a, that, this kind of debt at least. Um, and if you're able to organize debt as Donald Trump does and sort of kite it, <laughs> um, it's, it's not necessarily that you're shady. It's that you're – and this is actually where you get expressions like give me some credit. Um, that comes from this market revolution. Um, so it's associated with being trusted and with power. Right, right. Because, you know, to contract debt is to place a lot of trust in your debtor or your creditor. So, that, this, so this is sorry, this is a bit like the seed planted in the ground. You can do that mm -hmm. by giving money to the church or in a weird way you can do that in investing in yourself by borrowing money. Right, right, which is why, you know, I, I'm not sure that there's been research done on this, but I would be very – I would not be surprised if – Say, you know, people who go to the University of Phoenix, who I hope is not one of your sponsors, um, are coming out of a prosperity gospel um, mindset or tradition. It um, kind of – what you're saying, though, kind of flies in the face of another kind of quasi-moral debt thing uh, that is a big deal nowadays. It's like the Susie Orman – a uh, version right. of like debt right. as Personal, a moral sin. Right. No, that that is a throwback and 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 you know, Susie Orman you know, she's not a preacher, so she kind of is. She is. Uh, you know, in a and Dave way. Ramsey is certainly a preacher. Right. Like no, he no. Had, and he's explicitly he's on the radio. religious. Is that yeah, that's right. Yeah. James Ramsey is D um, Dave Ramsey is this another one of these personal finance gurus who invades against debt, tells everyone to pay down yeah. their debt as quickly as possible, and does so in an explicitly religious right. way. There is still that tradition here that I'm, again, you know, I'm, I'm speaking in in terms of general But you're threats, saying that but, they, these these personal finance gurus are kind of the countercurrent, and the main right. current is, is saying, is, go ahead, is, go forth uh, and yeah. lever up. Yeah, I'm, I, like when I mentioned uh, Oral Roberts before, he was in um, – he has a university in Oklahoma and a medical center, and they were both basically on the verge of bankruptcy back in the eighties. Um, and he became, you know, something of a late night, um, you know, figure of fun on late night um, talk shows because he'd set forward a, a plea, basically saying, like to his flock, like you, you are going to assume this debt, or God, God is going to come and take me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was um, suggesting people go into debt to help him out. I I think logically that probably follows in many cases. How, how did um, that work out for him? Fine. <laughs> how did it work out for his followers? <laughs> uh, that's some someone should do some follow up research there. I, I'd be curious to know. Um, but yeah, this is you know again in in the prosperity gospel version of the money cult, like it is a good thing to. 
leverage yourself. You know, it's almost like a Silicon Valley approach. It's like almost mm-hmm. goes full circle, like Silicon Valley. There, like, you could, you'd be an you idiot not make, to borrow a bunch right, of money to start a right. crazy if idea. You get a, if you get you know, the right venture capital, um, you could – I, that hadn't occurred to me. Thank you. I kind of uh, like uh, God yeah. is venture capitalist. Yeah. Does, does, yeah, wow, that's, that, that is what prosperity gospel that's is. And, and he Peter will, Thiel's and, next and book. And he, he will take his two and 20. <laughs> right. No, no, that, again, they don't, yeah. You always read the small print. In this, <laughs> in this way, I, I want to echo Suze Orman. <laughs> so this is absolutely fascinating to me. The main thrust of American Christianity, it seems to tying threads together here to sort of completely fly in the face of what you might think of like poverty is good, debt is bad. It just turns that on its head and says poverty is bad, debt is good. Yeah, there's a one of the most um, influential works of American rhetoric, period, is a um, sermon called Acres of Diamonds by this um, 19th century preacher, Russell Conwell, um, who actually says all those things, that uh, it is it is wrong in any event to be poor. So I, I kind of a, a summary question. Yeah. In the end, how much do you think that American uh, religion has conformed to American economics or American attitudes about money? And how much of American attitudes about money conform to religion, which is That's, the causal factor here? It's, it's, it's surprisingly hard yeah. to separate out. Um, you know, I'm I'm immersed in the religious stuff, so I I think I lean toward the idea that the the Protestant money faith is what incubates the particular culture of American capitalism. Okay, I don't wow. think you don't. I think you don't have the kind of economic thinking that we we n- now have without it. So okay. just a very a very simple. So does that mean that the Protestant countries tend to have more sort of like aggressively capitalist. That, yeah, that is historically economies. true. That is oh, historically true. Let me true. just say something really mm-hmm. meta though. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it is much more sustainable uh, economically um, for people to think that poverty is good. Right, because then they're like oh, they're yeah, all no, poor, and they're no. like, yeah, this is cool. But it's very <laughs> unsustainable to put to to right. put people into Ponzi schemes and promise them riches because right. it, it doesn't work out, and then they get burned, and then they're pissed. But mm-hmm. do they leave the religion, or do they just migrate to a different megachurch? Like, um, what is the like long term right. model? Well, both American religion and American capitalism are prey to boom and bust cycles. It's definitely true. Whereas um, the Catholic Church has managed to no, stick around for <laughs> yeah, and they're they're a steady state. You know, they're like a John Stuart Mill model, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I and that's what's interesting. You know, hard times faith. Um, there was, yeah, in the say the early twentieth century, uh, there was a rise of what's called the social gospel, which was um, very intellectually in- influential. Less so in terms of mass denominational followings. Um, that did try to, you know, wed a progressive um, kind of this capital P progressive um, agenda of social reform to Christian belief. Um, it had a lot of different currents and, and tributaries. But what's interesting, like the most influential, um, so the most popular social gospel uh, tract was a book called Our Country by Josiah Strong. And in it, he actually says... Americans as a race, it's, it is an extremely racist book, I should stipulate. Um, 
Americans as a race have the gifts to make money. It is what we're from a northern climate. It's all that crap, all that eugenics crap, but it is all spiritualized. That's amazing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Just before we um, like finish up here, like, can we expand this a little bit? Um, let's just expand it to the entire planet. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and ask, I want to ask you this. Like, insofar as American capitalism and the American economy has sprung out of this kind of unique religious background. What does that tell us about the global economy? And for, and specifically mm-hmm. as, you know, in a world with, you know, a billion Muslims where Islam just doesn't have this kind of right. um, flavor of Islam doesn't exist anywhere. Right. Um, does that mean that, you know, Islamic countries are never going to have that kind of degree of economic success? No, I don't think, I don't think it is. It's, it's not a law of economic de- development by any means. I just think you, you had, and one of the interesting things I also discovered because the, one of the grand explanatory, um, models for the relationship of Protestantism and capitalism is, is of course, Max Weber's essay, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, um, which I puzzled over a long time trying to figure out how it fits and doesn't. Um, And what's interesting is I realized that Weber's thesis, which, you know, in very short form is um, Protestant, you know, Puritans, the Protestants who founded America and Ben Franklin is sort of his um, personality type um, of of this movement have this, you know, they're insanely thrifty, they're insanely ambitious, yet they think God, you know, because they're Calvinists, they think God could just, you know, send them to hell at any moment for no reason at all. Um, So this is actually what creates the impulse to accumulate um, your... um, and, and that, then right, and that creates you know this pool of venture capital essentially. I, th- that's largely true, but I realized that basically the conditions Weber was describing were conditions of labor scarcity because he says the problem for capitalists in this in dealing with religion is that um, the old world model. You do have things like debt jubilees. You have holiday, religious holidays. Like there was no standard work week in early industrial England. Um, early modern England, I should say. Um, you know, people would just, it would be some saint's holiday and people would get drunk for a couple of days and then they'd, you know, harvest the crops whenever. And so it was a big problem for people seeking to impose labor discipline. Um, the Calvinist solution, in addition, Calvin also importantly, um, 
wrote that usury was not really a problem, which was a big, that's another problem, you know, in the Catholic old world model. And I think speaking globally, yeah, there, for religious cultures that tend to, um, you know, discourage speculation as Islam does and, you know, usury, um, there is a different kind of um, idea of economic, and it's more cooperative. It's less individualistic. Um, um, there's a much more kind of, you know, what we would call the traditional Catholic model of charity, what you were talking about with priests and monks. Um, so it's in, I mean, there are you know, the prosperity gospel does very well in uh, South America and Africa. Africa is a big, big um, place where you know crowds turn out for Osteen and all the other uh, prosperity preachers. So it's it's sort of an you know I don't know there is I there is no law uh, that will predict economic development, but you could I think make the case that. Countries that fall under this way of a prosperity gospel kind of mentality are in for a lot of bumpy rides, a lot of bubbles, a lot of um, recessions. Wow! So, so, so let's let's check back in in yeah. hundred years and see <laughs> see, see how Rwanda is doing. Say, put yeah. put put this podcast talk, in the time. Talk capsule. about a macroeconomic <laughs> model. If Rwanda is the Switzerland of, That's uh, right. of Africa, and but then when we Rick check back Warren in, wins. Yeah, I was exactly. Say. <laughs> um, okay, so that is it for us this week. Many thanks to Chris Lehman for coming on and and preaching. The truth about about American <laughs> capitalism. I we really really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris, um, and thank you all for listening to Slate Money, which you can find in your iTunes store or anywhere else. Please subscribe to us. Please leave a review in the iTunes store. Write to us. The address is slatemoney at slate dot com. Um, many thanks to Audrey Quinn who produced this show and to Steve Lichtai and Andy Bowers, the executive producers. Slate Money is part of the Panoply Network, so check out all of those podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. And we will talk to you next week on Slate Money. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.